0: Human potential. What exactly are we capable of as a species or as individuals? What are our limitations? And do we set limitations based on our own beliefs, society's beliefs, our upbringing? Today we focus on our capacity to maximize our energy, mindset, and productivity in both our uh, professional and our personal lives. Joining me today is Parmise Yazdanyar, who is a speaker, author, high-performance trainer. But the list goes on, so for better context, here's how she actually describes herself and what she does. With my background in integrative medicine, behavioral neuroscience, and positive psychology, I've combined the most relevant strategies from all three fields to create a three-pillar system that helps high achievers bio-neurohack their way to improved energy, motivation, productivity, output, and overall quality of life. That is a a mouthful. (laughs) This is crazy. So welcome to Living Your Life with Leanne Lang, the podcast brought to you by Extension Marketing. And of course, as always, you can check out extensionmarketing.com. For more information. That was a really fun intro to write. Mm. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm really excited to have you. We actually had to postpone this a little bit because there were projects and things calling you back to LA and back to different places. This is, I think, a fascinating topic that is growing and that people are actually interested in understanding. Absolutely. It's probably shifted, I think, from what it would have been maybe 20 years ago much when you were oh, just yes. a baby yeah <laughs> that's right that's right yeah
1: the, the field has evolved quite a bit and I mean like you mentioned in my in my intro um, I do kind of create my own definition of high performance and what I've done with my background is that I've taken sources from both integrative medicine so looking at how to maximize our energy how to fuel better how to manage stress how to sleep how to exercise um, with certain strategies from positive psychology so how to become more optimistic how to become more resilient how to actually you know set goals and achieve them, um, and looking at the science of what do high performers do that kind of sets them apart from everybody else. And these aren't necessarily things that they're born with, but perhaps what have they changed in their environment, or what habits or practices have they embodied that have allowed them to shift up both personally and professionally? I am like so excited because I feel like <laughs> after this, people
0: are just going to feel energized. They're going to feel motivated to do something. And it sometimes it, it, there's a spark needed. There's something that that's kind of fueling mm-hmm. this movement. Mm-hmm. And when you have someone like yourself doing it, first off, like where, where did you get it from? Where did yeah. you do this shift? Like, where was it in your upbringing
1: that this was something that you thought there's a possibility to do? Absolutely. Um, and it's, it's funny you mentioned that, too, as well, because I'm pretty young compared to many of the people in my field. I was going to mention that a little yeah. further in that yes. you are when you
0: talk of a millennial, like in the truest essence, like this is you very young, but already kind of worked their way in their field and have made a mark. That's right which doesn't, you know,
1: which is nice to see. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I think just as as individuals, we should always be thinking about what our potential is. You know, I was just listening to a podcast on my way here and they're saying, you know, the more you surround yourself with people that push yourself or push you to be a better version of yourself, the more you kind of try to fill that gap in wanting to be better. So I really do believe that your environment plays a crucial role. Now you asked a little bit about my upbringing Mm -hmm. and that's sometimes a question that kind of circles through my mind as well. Um, I'm kind of first generation my parents immigrated here actually as refugees in the 80s Um, they were both political refugees coming out of the Middle East Uh, they came here with close to nothing as many many refugees would would say and uh, they tried to build a life here after my brother and I were born and uh, tried to give us the best of of what they could afford Um, and I think from a very young age just seeing the struggle and just seeing the um, the opportunity that that exists here that maybe many children around the world would, you know, not have access to just gave me that that extra push or that extra spark as to there's so much that you can do. Why not do it all? How young were you when you realized that
0: you had been given a different opportunity than maybe other family members or people back?
1: As young them? as elementary school, I would say. And I know for many people that would say, well, that's really young for you to even conceptualize something like that. But just looking at family back home and looking at other newcomers that were Where just coming home? in. at uh, Iran. Okay, so looking at that and, you know, what children are subjected to, they're just adults or society in general, and especially as a woman, and looking at how many opportunities you have here and what, you know, the, what potential is is available to you to maxim, maximize yourself professionally, personally, to be able to, you know, have access to education and, and to do all of these things. It was like, why wouldn't you? And so I often get the question as to, you know, what keeps you motivated? And I, I respond back with, how can you not be motivated? Like, there's so much that can be done. There's so much that can be learned. There's so many peoples to meet, so many, how many opportunities are available to you? Why not expand yourself to the, to the greatest potential that you possibly can? I, I, you asked that question before because your mindset is
0: there. Yeah. There's someone who's sitting at home very comfortable and I'm just going to stay put. I'm, you know, I got my yeah. three meals, I got my job, I go to work, I come home. So it's a different mindset that Absolutely. you have and, and something that was established very early. Were you, did you feel like an outsider at all as a, as so. a refugee child? You know, at, you know, we hear stories, oh, right? Yeah. And you hope that you're embraced and you're made
1: to feel welcome. And yet, there's a different path that everyone's going to experience. Absolutely. And I feel from even a young age not being able to, you know, let's say, even speak English until four or five years old. Um, I almost felt like I was playing catch up with with many things yeah. with school, with uh, learning social norms. Um, and that kind of allowed me to want to kind of overcompensate almost and to get more into it and to, you know, perfect my language and to, to learn what other kids are doing or what other parents are teaching at home. And so that kind of did push me a little bit further to want to do, want to do more. But you're right, I did have that sense of, you know, I'm not like others, or I'm a little bit different, or just my worldview, you know, kids would go to school, and they would talk about, you know, their TV shows, or their games, or their sports that they're playing, whereas I'm talking about, you know, oh my goodness, there's a war going on back home, or, um, you know, there's kids that probably need need our help, and I remember actually in the fifth grade, I went to my principal, and uh, I believe there's either an earthquake, or um, a flood, or something that happened back home, and I was hearing my aunts and uncles talking about it, and how there's schools that have been destroyed, and kids that are now living on the streets without their parents, and um, I went up to my principal I was probably about 10 years old in fifth grade and I said we need to start a fundraiser like we need to we need to somehow help people back home and and she was almost in tears looking at you know this 10 year old who could be out in the playground playing right now during recess but instead she's taking the time to come into the principal's office and and talk about stuff like that so the beginning of my upbringing was was hard but it was I really do credit it to everything that I've accomplished right now. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more as to how you know my professional life mm-hmm. kind of developed as I as I got older. Um, but it's yeah, it's it's always been just looking for opportunity for in everything that you have. And I know you mentioned as well, like you know, there's people sitting at home right now. that might be comfortable, like maybe maybe they don't have the same mindset as you. And uh, looking at it from a pos- positive psychology standpoint, um, you know, there's the idea of the growth mindset and the fixed mindset, right? And we have to kind of assess and see where each individual is at and whether they're happy with where they're at. You know, some people might have that job, they might have their three kids, they might have their routine, and they're they're happy with that. And that's something that brings them fulfillment and joy. But I want to speak to the people who know they're not living up to their potential and they know that they're doing things just out of routine or out of comfort and they just don't know how to break out of it. This is something they've been taught. This is something that they've been brought up with um, and they've never really given it a second thought as to, you know, how can things be better, right? There's that notion that if something's not fixed, don't, you know, don't touch it. Okay, if it's it. not broken, don't fix it. Oh, sorry. That's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but why is that, right? Let's, let's take a look at things. Let's reassess. Let's become more self-aware and look at where are areas in our life that we can, we can maximize ourselves in. So I love that we're going to get to this and how you were able to differentiate who
0: is living right with, with each different mindset. When you're looking ahead to, to understanding this and, and where your career is going to go, I, I'm able to tell that you were successful in school and graduated. So in, in choosing that line of work, where were yeah. the studies? Like, where did you decide yeah. to say, okay, if I study this, I can create right. this?
1: Yes. So um, I often joke and say that, you know, coming from a Middle Eastern background, you have three options when you're growing up. You're either a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. Mm-hmm. Um Thankfully, my parents were not one of those. They, they obviously, you know, they wanted me to academically succeed, but I was never, I never felt forced to have to go into um, a certain field to, to make them happy. That being said, I always, always showed an interest for medicine. And that was actually one of the bigger, biggest reasons that kind of pushed me into the field of science, uh, was I wanted to help people feel better. And um I guess one of the things that triggered that, when I was in high school, my mom got diagnosed with breast cancer. And that was a very big wake-up call for myself and for her as well, to recognize the importance of our lifestyle and the importance of taking care of our health in order to prevent um, and not wait for adversity to hit before you you know, you know start taking action on becoming more healthy. Um, and she's not the first of her family. All of my aunts on her side have had breast cancer. My grandfather has had passed away from bladder cancer. So cancer was all over. And just looking at my mom being hit and, and for it to hit so close to home, it was a really big wake-up call for myself mm-hmm. to start taking care of, of my own health. Now, I know, Leanne, your background, you were brought up very, you know, athletic. I was not. I was very sedentary. I, um, you know, fell into the trap of, you know, just, you know, not being very active growing up and, and um, perhaps... Well, no, we're recess. he having... says, pe- you were planning fundraisers. Was, that's right. I was planning fundraisers. Like, I was yeah.
0: swinging around the monkey bars. See, I was not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, was,
1: I was very... Um, I was very academic. Mm-hmm. I was always reading, always, you know, always had books in front of me. But I was not a very active individual. So, um, probably in my early teen years, I was a little overweight. I was not very healthy at f- physically, and so when this happened to my mom. It was a very big uh, shock to me and a very big wake up call. Like I said, to to start paying attention to my health. So I was probably 15 years old when um, when she was diagnosed, and I started paying very close more, closer, closer attention to uh, what I'm eating, how active I'm being. Started looking into you know uh, the onset of diseases, chronic illnesses, what causes them, things like type two diabetes, obesity, um, and everything led back to you know nutrition, to lifestyle, to to stress. So I developed this really big passion for. For health and well being, and looking at how to optimize yourselves physically. So, given that, I automatically assumed that I want to go into medical school and become a doctor. And I've shared the story many times before is that I was so eager getting into university, studying sciences, thinking that I'm going to become this, you know, this doctor that's going to save lives. Um, But very quickly, getting into kind of the whole medical industry and, and that whole field. I started to recognize that um, my dream of, of, you know, wanting to help people maximize their potential was not going to be fulfilled going down the medical route. And not to discredit anything within the medical field whatsoever, but uh, we're living in a time where we're very much taking a diagnose and treat approach to health conditions rather than looking at how to prevent them, looking at, you know, how to maximize health. We're kind of taking people who are sick and making them feel okay. We're not taking them to that extra, that extra level um, of, of flourishment or, um, of, of, you know, positive resiliency.
0: Or fighting illness in the first place.
1: That's right. Exactly. So we're waiting for people to get a diagnosis and then we're, we're, we're throwing, you know, treatments and, and stuff at them. We're not really looking at how to prevent. Now, there's there's various reasons for this. There's a lot of financial backing. There's, there's an entire system mm-hmm. behind it. Um, however, I very quickly realized that this is perhaps not the system that I want to be embedded in. So I was feeling a little discouraged. I, I opted out of going into medical school and following that as a career, but I started looking into alternative practices. So I looked into naturopathy, into chiropractic, into massage therapy, into acupuncture, into um, holistic nutrition, and nothing really fit my description of, of what I thought maximizing, you know, health could be. It, it, they all kind of focused on a subcategory of health. Were there aspects of each that you Oh, 100%. Liked, like, I like this part yeah. from this section. Absolutely. Okay. From chiropractic, mm-hmm. I love the whole, you know, aspect of, of aligning your nervous system. From naturopathy, there's, you know, all these remedies. and But there was nothing that really kind of got down to it until I discovered functional medicine probably five, six years back. Um, now, functional medicine is relatively a new term in Canada. It um, it describes basically a practice that looks at getting to the why of disease, so getting to um, the root causes of illness and taking a lifestyle approach to address the um, the causes rather than looking at how to treat the symptoms. Um, so moreover, it looks at you know f- treating the whole person um, rather than just an isolated set of symptoms. I often say you know if you go to the doctor and you say my arm hurts, they kind of take a look at that. They don't look at well your arm's connected to here. Could it be that you may be sprained here? That you did this? That you you know what's your diet like? What's your stress levels like? They don't look at that right. They just kind of look at all right, let's treat this arm that's that's in pain right now. So it's great for acute care, but looking for uh, you know solutions for chronic conditions, not so much. So I got into functional medicine after university and, um, you know, we looked at various subsets of the human of the human body, looking at how to optimize your, your brain health, your hormones, your detoxification pathways, your gut health. So taking a very holistic approach at how to optimize all the systems in our body uh, so that we're functioning well as a whole. But the one aspect of functional medicine that was still missing was the mindset aspect of it, was the thought processes. And, you know, it's great if you're eating well and you're exercising and you're, um, you know, taking the right supplements and and all of that. But if you're not tending to the mindset or looking at how your thoughts and your environment and your lifestyle in, in, in general is affecting your well-being, then we're still kind of missing something out of there. That's where I started looking into the field of positive psychology. Now, positive psychology kind of sounds like, you know, just wishful thinking and, and thinking positive and no problems in the world. Really? Exist. Like, my, like, like unicorns and rainbows? Yeah, yeah. not necessarily. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not kind of looking, looking at the world with, with uh, rose-colored glasses. It's more looking at um, what moves people north of neutral. Right. So if you look at the general happiness scale of, of a population, who are the people that are always energetic, that are thriving, that are optimistic, that have this growth mindset? So positive psychology looked at studying those people and kind of uncovering the the habits or the mindsets or the behaviors of these people um, to be able to kind of quantify what um, happiness or fulfillment really means. So I started studying positive psychology. Um Looking at everything from how to cultivate positive emotion, how to, you know, develop engagement with your work, how to develop an achievers mindset, how to um, find meaning in your work, in your life, um, and how to just live a life of, of vitality by tending to your, your brain's needs. Okay, can I ask a, this might no, sound that's like okay. a dumb question. No. When you're studying
0: positive psychology, right. were there aspects of understanding the negative psychology, oh, yes. you know, of why people... think of an on the negative
1: side like i mean
0: is this like uh, one group looks at it the half is half glass is half full and why the other sees it as half empty yeah is that a good comparison
1: it's a good comparison but it gets even more complex than that so this again goes back down even to our upbringing to our biology to genetic factors to environmental factors like what creates personality in someone there's there's so many factors that go into it um more times than others it is our environment that shapes us to to become who we are, genetics does play you know play a role, but now we're learning that our genetics can be changed, and the way that they um, the way that they manifest in our body can can be affected by even as you know as simple as our thoughts and as simple as our environments, and and so um, it it's it is the whole half glass you know being full or empty, but it, it goes a little bit deeper than that. So looking at positive psychology um, from a perspective of um, not only what creates Positivity in people, but what allows people to move past that negativity negativity mindset? So in my book I talk about uh, this concept called the negativity bias. So this is kind of like an evolutionary uh, Phenomenon that we're all kind of wired to focus more on the negative on the negative because it's a uh, Survival mechanism, right? So for just always happy and everything's fine We might miss the distraction or we might miss the threat that's coming at us from the bushes. So We always kind of focus a little bit more on the negative. I usually talk with students and I say, you know, if you've gotten all A's in one class and then a D in one class, which one are you more fixated on, right? The D. So we tend to focus more on the negative. But the concepts of positive psychology and neuroscience is learning the habits and behaviors that we can apply um, that move us past that negativity bias. It's not ignoring the negative. We all will have down days. We all will have times where things seem to be, you know, kind of bogged up against us. Um, We all will have stressful moments, breakups, relationship issues, problems in our career, but it's how we deal with those. So it's not the reactive Uh, personality aspects that we have but how do we respond as our highest selves and this is something that needs to be consciously created we're not all just naturally these positive vibrant beings although some may seem it's there's specific um, actions or, or thoughts or processes that need to be put in place so that we learn to not be reactive but responsive how difficult
0: is that for people to work through
1: because it sounds so good right now. I'm just yeah. like, oh,
0: my God, I feel so good. This is so possible. But I'm assuming the shift and the, how we train our minds is incredibly difficult, especially when we are so used to thinking the negative thoughts or even right. just allowing them to sit there longer than we probably should.
1: Absolutely. And the whole, you know, the whole aspect of if I've been this way for near half my life, what, what's going to make me change? Um, how difficult it is, is up to you. And it's it's how difficult you want to make it. And I I typically tell people like you can read all the self help books in the world, you can listen to all the positivity podcasts, you can even hire a coach, but for some reason, your behavior won't change. Um, Looking at it from a subconscious point of view there's some patterns and some behaviors and some um, repetitive processes that have been kind of repeated over in our lives for so long that they've almost been wired in our brains. And now we're looking at, you know, for example, people who complain often, it's very hard to break out of that pattern because the neural connections in their brain that's wired for negativity are so strong. So breaking out of that requires step one that awareness that you want to break out of that pattern and it's the desire to actually want to get out of that it's recognizing that your your thought processes or your behaviors are perhaps not serving you and that there's greater potential that exists and wanting to bridge that gap so wanting to get there that's the first step the second step is looking at can i
0: go back to sorry go ahead can i I go back to what you're talking about our brains are wired
1: like yeah yes Okay.
0: Like uh, when when did those when did those wire, when did that wiring start? And since so the moment we were l- born, we're, we're wired a certain way. We yes. we created it to be wired a certain way. Yes. How long does it take to undo? Like I'm I'm thinking it like it's like a massive knot, yeah. right? <laughs> it is like this. Ma- how yeah. long does it take to undo this knot?
1: It depends on on how long it's <laughs> taken for the knot to get there.
0: So if you have someone that's been in this in this mindset for 40 years yeah please tell me it's not gonna take 40 years for us to reverse it because then people yeah. are gonna be like whatever what's the point right yeah. exactly
1: Yes, so neural connections develop um, because of repeated behaviors. So for example, if you have a habit of, let's say, checking your phone first thing in the morning and you want to get out of that habit, for the first few weeks you'll notice it's very hard because it's an automatic reaction. And so habits are are great because they facilitate almost, you know, 40% of our lives are are done unconsciously, right? You get into the car and you automatically just put your seatbelt on. You don't have to think about it. It's our brain's way of saving energy. By not having to consciously process everything and consciously think of everything, it creates these automatic behaviors so that it frees up time for, for other things. Now, unfortunately, this can be at our detriment as well, um, meaning that negative habits or uh, thought processes can also become embedded that strongly so that we don't have to give it a second thought. As soon as something negative happens, we react in a negative way. Um, so going back to your question, mm-hmm. if it takes you know 40 years to, to you know create this, this knot of, of neural wiring, does it take 40 years to undo? Unfortunately, no, not necessarily, but it will require some work because habit kind of reversal or going back and looking at your thought patterns and looking at how you think and how you process things and how you react um, will require some will. So it, it's depending on how how willing you are to want to address these things and how effective the habits that you're going to be putting in place of it are. There's this notion in positive psychology or uh, neuroscience that no habits can be undone. They can either be replaced or improved. So once a habit is there, we can't really go back and undo that knot. But what we can do is replace the triggers, replace the routines and replace the rewards that are associated with that habit to now t- change that neural wiring Uh, to be geared towards something positive rather than going back to its negative pattern.
0: Okay, so let's go with your example of you get up and the first thing you do is check your phone.
1: For sure. So this is something I personally struggled with for for quite some time, especially after launching my book and getting a little bit more active on social media. Um, It was that automatic kind of response in the morning, having to get up and look at your notifications, look at my emails, look at who sent me messages. Um, And it's very hard to to break out of that pattern. So um, what I tried doing for the first couple of weeks is just ignoring my phone first thing in the morning. And it became Really difficult because I'm just lying there thinking.
0: I want to be checking my. I need to be
1: checking. Yeah, that's right. There's people that are that might be waiting for me to respond to them. Um, So it became difficult to just kind of ignore it completely. So what I did is that I went to my phone, but I replaced that habit of going through my notifications with turning on a meditation app. And so that that cue of waking up and wanting to go to my phone was still there, but I replaced the routine of going through and checking notifications uh, with something that was now more productive, which is turning on a 20 minute meditation. So I went through the meditation and even if I checked my phone after the meditation, at least I knew that I gave myself some time to set my intentions for the day, to do some deep breathing, to have you know a nice calming voice talk to me for for 20 minutes and then I start my day with a little bit more of a uh, more positively primed and more in more in control mindset Um, rather than just jumping straight out of bed and putting myself in that reactive state of going to see you know who's who, who needs me who's emailed me uh how many notifications do i have
0: yeah but what's interesting for you is that you're mentioning work-related things you're not yeah. going on facebook or instagram
1: to well see i every, mean or were
0: you going on to see what everyone else's lives were like
1: it was well no not necessarily i wasn't going on there to see because no.
0: most people will get on their phone immediately yeah. and then we'll go to more of. they're not checking their emails immediately they're going on to instagram and facebook that's and, right yeah and noticing what everyone else is doing.
1: Absolutely. And it's, it's funny you bring this up because there's an article I actually uh, wrote last night on, on how peak performers use social media. And this was about a three-month study I did on um, a couple of people that I decided to, to kind of pick on for three months and monitor their, their social media behavior and um, kind of take these now few people, you know, divide them up into a group and and give them specific instruction and see how they would act with that. So the, the result of my, of my little experiment, uh, was that social media is extremely addicting and it's almost like a slot machine, right? Because it's variable rewards. You never know what, what you might get and likes, comments, shares, even looking at other people's posts are immediate dopamine boosts in our brain. And we like that. We like that immediate feel good feeling. Um, Dopamine is also responsible for many other addictive behaviors, such as, you know, sex, drugs, alcohol, gambling. So looking at how we use these social media platforms or, you know, getting up and going to your phone first thing in the morning, it very much is an addiction. And sometimes it's an unconscious behavior, right? We just get up and we we scroll through the newsfeed, even if we're not really taking anything in. Mm-hmm. It's just developed into this this behavior that we have now, that we now succumb to. Um so going back to that. Yeah, I want this article. Okay. Yeah, no, I'll
0: I'll send it to you after. <laughs> okay, but can you I, share it with share it with the listeners. So what were the the group of people? So you had how many? There was about 10. Okay, you had so 10. Very people. Okay, small. okay, well. It's well, not so, a, it's a lot of different people's behavior.
1: Yeah, okay. that's right. So these are people um, both people that co- create content on social media. So let's say influencers yes. mm-hmm. who are well-known and who have, you know, a specific amount of following and also people who perhaps, you know, don't really create as much content, but they're there to consume. So um, I didn't give them any instruction at first. All I said is to monitor how many times you go, how many times you open the app, how many times you go onto your phone and, um, and how many times you unconsciously start scrolling, and, and maybe five minutes later realize, like, oh, you know, crap! I, you okay. know, I maybe opened an email, and then somehow got sucked into Facebook. So I started looking at their behaviors, look, and and started recording. Um, how many times this happened um, and what times of the day do they feel more compelled to go onto, uh, onto social media? Under what circumstances did they feel that they were kind of pulled more towards social media? And so just in a nutshell, the results were that um, in the afternoon was much higher than in the morning or the evening. It almost felt like that afternoon slump where you've kind of accomplished some things and, you know, during the first little the few hours of the day and then uh, you almost get sucked into it after lunchtime or when work maybe gets boring um, or it was when people had to do cognitively um, taxing tasks. So things that were uh, maybe a little bit difficult that they were trying to avoid, they would just kind of move on to social media almost like an immediate dopamine. Because when we're sitting there, let's say you're writing an article, for example, um, it will require some brain work, right? It will require you to, to have some output. It, it requires like those creative juices to get going. Mm. Um, but when they're not going, we kind of feel incompetent. We kind of feel frustrated with ourselves. So what we do is that we move on to social media for that immediate dopamine rush for that, um, that feel good feeling of like, okay, like things are okay. And so this distraction of constantly going back and forth is, is counterintuitive, but I found that the majority of the time when people were pulled more towards social media or found themselves scrolling mindlessly was when they were supposed to be focused on something else, um, So I guess the result of of all this is that I gave them specific instruction to one group I said to continue doing what you're doing and uh, to the other group I told them to block off maybe one or two hours a day to be on social media and uh, don't surpass it. So if let's say you're on social media from 11 to 12 and your purpose is to answer your messages to maybe you know like and share some some stuff to engage with your post but once your hour is up that's it social media is done for the day. And then I got them to monitor their productivity their energy levels um, even in their mood and so like I said this wasn't something that was scientifically done I just kind of quickly based it off of um some research I've done in the past and I wanted to do something fun and see if I could influence people to um become more focused or productive by by limiting I'm thinking even awareness oh yeah I'm thinking even having to not
0: jot down That's when it. and how often oh yeah You know, and I know now that we have our phones and it's telling us (laughs) how much time you spent on there. And sometimes I think you're shocked by the amount of time that you've spent on these Exactly.
1: That's it. And I think the average that I recorded um, was about 86 to 111 times. That the person opened up their their app and whether it was for instagram facebook uh email um pinterest youtube so for whichever of these platforms um 86 to 111 times is how much i recorded from for the average Mm -hmm. between um how many times we open per day so just think about how many times a day you're you're interrupted um just by you know whatever you're doing whether you're just you know in the grocery store or maybe you're doing work but these pings that come up on your on your you know on your screen all of a sudden is so tempting to go code checkout um, another piece of instruction that I gave the uh, the group that I had instructed maybe only to, to time block um, was to when you're logging or so when you get off the app actually physically log out of it and so this is actually a concept I got from um, Harvard psychologist Sean Aker, and if you're not familiar with him, I would recommend going to check out his TED talk on happiness. It's probably one of the most viewed TED talks out there, but um, he talks about how to kind of prevent ourselves from getting into negative behaviors by adding a a, a factor of resistance. So his example was that um, he realized when he would come back from from work, he would just kind of plop in front of the TV and turn, turn the TV on and then sit there mindlessly watching TV for four hours when he knows well enough that he's got maybe things to uh, students' papers to be marking or doing literally anything Mm -hmm. else. Um, And so he said that to, to prevent himself from doing that, he took the batteries out of his remote control and put them in a separate room. So when he would come home and sit in front of the TV, the thing didn't work, and he knew he had to get up and go get the batteries, which would probably take about 20 seconds. But the work that was associated with that just kind of said, you know what, screw it, it's not worth it. So he found it interesting that he was able to almost cut his TV watching in half just by doing that. So he's like, where else can I, you know, add this into my life? Um so he looked at how do I remove barriers from actions that I actually want to take. So one of his goals was to practice playing the guitar, but his guitar was, you know, stowed away in a closet upstairs somewhere. And so every time he came home, he's like, oh, well, I got to go upstairs, got to go take it out of the case. It's heavy, carry it all the way downstairs. So what he did is that he actually brought the guitar downstairs and kept it in his living room on a stand. So he, now he didn't have an excuse. It was right there. And so he curated the 20-second the, the rule, is as he calls it, because sometimes it just takes maybe 5 to 20 seconds to... Um to either initiate or stop a behavior, but our brains kind of see it as, nah, it's, it's that extra work. It's just going upstairs to get this, or it's maybe replacing the batteries in the remote control, so I might as well just not do it. So this was something that I implemented with the, with the Facebook group, uh, or sorry, the social media group, and I told them, uh, log out of all the apps completely, because now every time you're tempted to open up that app, you, have to well, you, you gotta log in, you gotta put your email, you gotta you know put your password, sometimes it asks you for like two-factor o- authentication, do you wanna do that? No, not really. And they actually found that it significantly helped them because they would say that they would even open up the app unconsciously, like not even you know not even wanting to go on Facebook, and they're like, oh, all of a sudden the Facebook app is is open, but because they had to enter their you know their email and their password, they no longer. Oh my God, I'm logging out of all my stuff as yeah. <laughs> this is over. And I mean, this is just one example. Like we can look at how our we able to add these barriers into mm-hmm. other areas of our life to, to kind of uh, negate our, our way of, you know, getting into into poor behaviors? So is it, um, this is probably a bad example, but, you know, putting bad food in, in, in you know, a safe in the basement, or is it, you know, <laughs> it's it's how do we add these barriers to our life so that we, we don't feel inclined to, you know, take that extra step to to get there? So. Are you
0: able to give us, like, another example or so of that sure. shift of, that positivity mindset mm. uh, and noticing, you know, yes. even if you say within that 20 seconds when you're starting to have negative thought process of yeah. what are triggers, what can we do to help ourselves out of that? This podcast is brought to you by Extension Marketing. They're a new breed of marketing agency that acts as your virtual marketing department, designing and implementing cost-effective marketing strategies that will grow your business. I can speak to this personally, as I've been using the Extension Marketing team to help me launch and grow my business. Founder Pat Whalen has been a lifesaver for me, a genuine coach guiding me along the way into uncharted territory. Tell them you're a friend of the show and receive a free one-hour consultation. Check them out at extensionmarketing.com. Definitely.
1: Definitely. So there's one technique I use with my clients, and um, it's a technique I adopted from cognitive behavioral therapy, and it's called the ABC uh, ABC model of, of um, response uh, responding well. So A stands for adversity, B stands for belief, and C stands for consequence. So typically, when we're faced with an adversity, what um, we let's say for example, you get fired from your job, your immediate reaction is disappointment, is sadness, is anger, maybe. Um, we go right into the consequence, but we're skipping a step here, which is that belief aspect of it. And this is, there's so much research coming out now looking at the impact of our belief on even, you know, reversing certain illnesses. Um, The documentary Heal, for example, is is a good example of that. So looking at how our beliefs can alter the the consequence or let's say the, the negativity mindset that we have. So let's say you do get fired from your job. And if your belief is, you know, maybe I'm incompetent. I was, you know, this was unfair. um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm never going to find a job like this. Like whatever it is, the consequence might be feelings of sadness, frustration, anger. But if your belief was, you know what, maybe this is, you know, a good opportunity for me. Maybe I maximized my capacity in that field that I was in. And maybe now I'm meant for more. Now your consequence might still be a little fearful. It might still be... um, feeling maybe a little frustrated, a little angry, but you're optimistic. So looking at how to reprogram our brains, this is an exercise I give to my clients, is to write down uh, five negative things that perhaps have happened to you in the last couple of months, and write down the consequences of how those made you feel. Now go back to those and look at what your beliefs were about that adversity. Was it a boyfriend that left you? Was it um A friend that did you wrong. Was it um, someone, you know, stole your Netflix subscription, (laughs) whatever it was. Um, Look at how your beliefs are now kind of uh, impacting that consequence and how can you change that belief. So, for example, if someone cut you off while you were driving, you can, you know, start swearing and giving them fingers and, and getting angry. Um, or you can shift that belief or that inner self dialogue and say, you know what, maybe that person was on their way on to a podcast and they were running late, for example, maybe that person, um, had, you know, their kid sick at home and they were just rushing home for them. So looking at how do we shift things and it's not making excuses for people, but it's, you know, it's not going to do you any good shifting to that immediate reactive, angry, uh, angry, frustrated, sad state. So how do we kind of negate that by justifying it to ourselves and by shifting the belief that we have about that negative thing that happened
0: i love it yeah i love this i want to be able to hit on the peak aspect of sure. peak performance Absolutely. if that's okay because yeah. i know within peak there's yeah. a number of things we want to hit on yes yep. so this is part of the book this is part of the website yes. this is part yeah. of the pillar like everything that you talk about so right. peak performance
1: where's the peak where's the peak so um I've noticed myself and I kind of being in that entrepreneurial field or being in the um, the high performance and, and, and all of that, being in that since, you know, from a very young age, um, I've always noticed that when we're talking about high performance, it's very much geared towards sales, business mastery, um, you know, mindset. I found very little that took a very all encompassing approach to high performance. So when we want to define a high performing or a successful individual, how do we define them? And I actually tested this out. There's there's a little, again, another mini research study that I talk about in the beginning of my book where I, you know, I asked people, like, what, what does success mean to you? And some people said time freedom. Some people said financial freedom. Other people said, you know, doing what you love. So success is very subjective, but what I tried to quantify is that there's three very crucial pillars to high performance that I believe um, every individual should have if they want to take themselves from overachiever to peak performer. The first one is your physiology. This is the first P of peak performance. And so that kind of touches back on the functional medicine aspect, and that is how do we fuel ourselves? How do we move? How do we sleep? How How do we take care of our body? Because, you know, we can argue that you, you can be, you know, financially abundant and your, your career can be taking off and you could be doing various things that make you look successful from the outside. But if you're sleeping four hours a night, if you're, um, you know, not eating properly, if you're not exercising properly, if you're not meditating, if you're not taking care of the core essence of your being, is that success going to be um, maintainable right are you going to be able to keep up with with everything so i think now especially with the shift towards more wellness and looking at um even like you know the corporate entrepreneur or whatever it's not necessarily uh, looking at their financial gain or looking at how much uh, they've achieved, but how well they're able to maintain a quality of life and how well they're able to care for themselves in the pursuit of success. So that's the first pillar. The first pillar is um, physiology. The second one is psychology, and that's exactly kind of what we've been talking about. How to how do we kind of... Um, how do we set ourselves up for success by looking at or becoming more aware of how our mind works? So ex- exactly like the ABC model, like are we jumping from adversity to consequence? Do we even think about the belief? Are we even aware of that? Um, how do we respond in, in negative situations? Or are we aware of the habits or the beliefs or the um the the processes that we have as as a person. So it's bringing that awareness back to our own mindset and looking at how do we optimize our, our minds in a way that we're acting as our highest selves, that we have habits that are serving us, that we have beliefs that are serving us, and that we're kind of flourishing mentally. And then the third aspect that is almost like a byproduct of the physiology and the psychology is productivity. So productivity is not necessarily how much you can accomplish, but how you're giving back to the world. How are you showing up in the world? Is the work that you're doing contributing to to society is um are your daily actions congruent with with who you are as a person are you acting in alignment with uh with your beliefs and with your core values so productivity i think has been given a bad rap it's not so much you know how much you you can accomplish or how much money you've made but it's more how can you live in more i guess congruence with how you want to show up in the world so
0: but can you maybe have a job that you don't feel is changing the world, that you're you're inputting sure. numbers and you're having to type up things and you're just having to analyze graphs, right? Yeah. So you're not feeling like what you're spending your days doing is mm-hmm. making a difference in the world. So how are you able to find that productivity? Right. Are you able to find it elsewhere so that you don't have to put all of your eggs in one basket?
1: Absolutely. So that's kind of twofold. Mm-hmm. Um, either yes, you can cal- kind of cultivate purpose and passion outside of your line of work. But what I typically like to do with people, and because your your work is something that you're going to be immersed in for a very long time, is to find meaning in what you're in what you're doing. There's a beautiful story I heard um, about a janitor in um, you know in a hospital, and so you're looking at you know the doctors and the surgeons and then the janitor, and you would obviously think that the the doctors and surgeons probably have uh, a much more meaningful or um, you know, they find a higher purpose in what they're doing. Whereas when they interviewed the janitor, the janitor actually had, was scoring higher on on purpose and and happiness than some of the doctors were. So they started looking at, well, why is that? And he says, well, you know, like I I really think that when I clean and when I make sure that, you know, germs are not getting around and when I'm um, making sure the hallways are nice and tidy, that I'm, I'm helping the doctors do their job better. So he saw his job as you know, being a janitor, um, as having a higher purpose, because he's helping the doctors, and those are the people that are helping, you know, save lives. And I, I talk about in my book as well, you know, the analogy of the three bricklayers. So there's three bricklayers, and one guy says, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm laying bricks. The other one says, I'm, I'm building a church. And the third one says, I'm building a house of God. So looking at that is is we can cultivate meaning and purpose in anything that we do, regardless of if we feel, you know, we're passionate towards our work, whether we feel if it's just data entry, let's say, what is it doing to facilitate maybe, is it, you know, is it adding ease into someone else's life? Is it... Um, you know, as, as little of a maybe as significant as you might not think it is, um, what is it doing to maybe help the rest of your uh, team or your company? Or um, is, it, is it adding, you know, value to the world in, in some way? Now, not everyone wants to, you know, save whales and, and rainforests and, and, and all of that. But we have to look for the hidden meaning in perhaps the subtle actions that we take on a daily basis. For example, you being here doing this. You're maybe not saving the world actively, but perhaps the people that you're bringing on here are sharing value with others and someone else listening to this might all of a sudden want to change their life.
0: Right. That's where I feel is my, my piece, yeah. right? Is that, yeah. you know, and, I, and I've and i often said like Tuesdays, because we always yeah. call it podcast Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesdays for me are the day where I most feel, um, you know... My purpose. Right. Tuesdays, I feel like me because yeah. I'm I'm telling and I'm, I'm I'm facilitating stories and information that I find is going to help someone listening. Right, right. And so I feel you know I love these days. Yeah. And and it's what I'm most accustomed to doing. It's what I did for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other six days of the week, I feel like I'm lost because yeah. I'm having to do all of these other. You know yeah. tasks that I'm just not good at, but come Tuesday, I'm like I'm in my space, right? Okay. So we we all find it in in different ways. Okay, so we've done the peas. I'm like yeah. now I'm like okay, <laughs> I got. I want to get through your because I'm not even looking at Veronica for her to even <laughs> <laughs> tell me. We're still we're still good. We got we're good for time. Okay, so let's go. We have our peas. Let's go to our e's.
1: All right. Yeah. So okay, so we got that. So okay. um, I did create because I'd little... love to stay on. I'm, I'm like, I know, on I know. all of this, but I people have,
0: have, we'll get the
1: basis of it all, and then people just have, have to hire you or get your book. okay. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Um, So the E kind of stands for um, energized and engaged. And this goes back to the the P where I talk about, you know, you have to be proactive with your your physiology, your psychology, and your productivity. But being energized and engaged is taking that responsibility of putting that into action. So how do I energize myself? How do I get myself to do the things that I want to do? And, again, energizing kind of goes back to looking at our, our energy physiologically and psychologically. So what am I doing to feed myself the right information information or even the right fuel to be able to show up as my best. So am I, you know, kind of listening to rap on my way to work or am I perhaps putting on a podcast? Am I feeding my brain the right information? Am I surrounding myself with the right people? Um, and it goes back to again the health aspect of it. Right? Am I energizing myself right? Am I fueling myself? Am I um, am I, you know, taking care of my mindset? Am I um, exercising my meditating so it's, it's that energy aspect of it engage is more how do I engage with things that are being thrown at me am I engaging my highest values am I um, and these are all questions that I feel everyone as an individual should be asking on a regular well basis. they can be asking
0: them um, yeah but they can be saying no no. And no, I haven't done that. No, yeah. I haven't done that, right? So. And that's
1: totally fine. It's it's bringing it into your awareness because 90% of people are living on autopilot, doing things because that's just the way they've always been doing it or the way that they've been taught or the way society has kind of shown them the way. Um, and they don't question why, you know, why are we doing things the way we are? So being engaged is, is again, bringing that taking that step back and bringing our awareness back to why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Um, am I focused with my work? Why is it that I'm constantly distracted? Am I um, working on high output tasks? It can can things be delegated? So looking at how do we focus our energy in a way that brings about our, our highest selves and that actually creates impact and so that we're not just kind of running around like our you know like a chicken with their head cut off uh, from one task or from one thing to, to the next without actually getting anywhere. I talk about how sometimes we're, there's a difference between moving around and moving forward. So when we're spread kind of a little bit too thin, we're moving around going in circles trying to tend to this and that and keep everything in alignment where if we focus our energy towards one source or perhaps towards one output, we find ourselves way more engaged and way, way more um susceptible to success. Okay, so I'm sorry. When you're talking about moving
0: around <laughs> yeah. and instead of moving forward, yeah. moving around for many people is get up, get the kids to school, get them to activities, make sure they got their lunches, get to work, do the activities, mm-hmm. pick up things, get the carpools, get to dinner. And then, like, so how does one see themselves moving around, mm-hmm. which we are doing, as you said, 90% of it subconsciously, yeah. uh, to moving forward? Is it taking one single thing at a time? Is it Okay. Because yes. right now I'm going off. Ah. I'm moving around. around.
1: So if you look at whatever goal that you have, and I mean, the things that you described are basic, you know, the basics of, of, of life that I feel regardless of if you're living consciously or unconsciously, you will have to do. There, There's some, some things where it comes to work, when it comes to kids, when it comes to the groceries and the carpool and all that, that need to be done. Where I'm talking a little bit more about is your professional or personal goals and how you're setting yourself up for success and how you're setting yourself up to be motivated. Are you taking on way too many tasks that perhaps, you know, you, you could benefit from not taking on. Is it better for you to focus on just one avenue um, and move that forward and reach success before you move on to taking on the next, right? Let's say, especially as moms, you know, they want to take on, um, you know, making sure your kids are, are well fed and they're at their classes and they're at this and they're at that. And then the mom themselves want to, you know, they want to make sure that they're excelling at work. They want to make sure that they're, you know, the little side project they've taken on and, and they overcommit themselves. So I think it's time to learn to start saying no and start prioritizing ourselves, not in a selfish way, but almost in a selfless way to see that if I want to be you know, performing at my best, I need to be at my best. And by trying to please everyone and perhaps, you know, spreading ourselves too thin with this task or this commitment or this promise, we're not really getting anywhere. So looking at what is the goal that I have, I, I typically like to do this at the beginning of the year and perhaps every quarter, is what is the goal I have for this quarter? Um, what are the maybe the three to five steps required to get there? And what are things that I need to cut out of my life that will prevent me from getting to that goal? Um, it could be maybe running a marathon. It could be writing a book. It could be um, you know, whatever personal or professional goal that you have, the whole aspect of, of remaining engaged is, is not to, you know, maybe cut out your kids or cut out groceries or <laughs> delegate your husband to someone else. You can't really do that. Um, but how do you align yourself with taking intentional action and cutting out the unnecessary? That's where engagement comes in. Okay. Okay. Yes. Um, so that's, that's the E. The A was um, being action-driven So not only just, you know, learning all these things, but actually putting them into action. And that's where I find many people, especially kind of in the entrepreneurial, high achiever world, get stuck because they kind of go on this, you know, spree of reading books and listening and going to these conferences and going to this and that. And they take in all this information and they have like, you know, the world of knowledge at their fingertips, um, but it's putting it into action that, yeah, like that they're, stops They're
0: them. paralyzed. Exactly. It's like, it's almost like, okay, I've got too much now. I've got That's too right. many ideas. I should have been doing all of these things that I I should have yeah, been doing. Yeah. And then you're, you sit there and go, I can't even conceptualize trying to do it.
1: That's right. So going a little bit, you know, taking a step back on that is, is looking I, I, I'll at... I'll include myself. Yeah. And you know what? You're I'll not I'll barely alone.
0: say I can include myself in that. I have way too many things that there's times where I'm just like, I, I can't. I
1: Yeah. So it's analysis paralysis. There's so many Ugh. things that you've, that you've consumed and that you've learned and that you want to do that you almost don't know where to start. I don't, yes. You don't know where to start. That's right. So, um, Again, number one thing is going back to our subconscious patterning and looking at perhaps what are things that are preventing us, what are belief systems, what are habits that are preventing us from even taking that first step. Um, going back to the phone, is it, you know, that you want to read three books a month and instead of, you know, getting up and maybe perhaps opening up your book, you're opening up Facebook. So looking at what patterns and behaviors am I, am I you know, showing right now that are perhaps getting in the way of me wanting to, to move forward with my goals. Even further than that, I recommend to everyone to go on a low information diet. And especially now with Google and Facebook and and all these websites and articles and newsletter opt-ins and we're bombarded with information. And so it's that paradox of choice of when we have so many things to do, we almost don't wanna do any of it. So going on a low information diet is, is not necessarily you know becoming ignorant and not wanting to you know learn anything new, but it's so being selective with the type of information that you wanna allow in and looking at what is something that I can take immediate action on, right? If I'm learning about um, high performance habits, like it's great to learn how to be a leader and how to this, but what are things that I can immediately implement in my life right now? I'll disregard the rest. I do this with books for example I I read a lot probably on average about four to six books a month but I always make sure that the books I'm reading are relevant to the things that I'm I'm doing in that in that time um someone gifted me a book called The CEO Next Door, and I started reading the first chapter, and it was a lot about how to lead an organization, how to delegate tasks, how to manage. And at the time, I'm like, I don't really have a team to, to be you know delegating mm-hmm. things to. As great as this book is, I'm going to leave it for a time that this, will, this information will become relevant. Instead, for example, I'm launching an online course. I'm going to pick up a book on digital marketing to learn a little bit more about that. So going on a low information diet and a selective information diet, looking at what are things that I can consume that will immediately benefit me, and immediately after consuming information, maybe perhaps even making a mental note, or I really like writing it out, writing it out by hand, um, what are things that I took away from this that I can immediately put into action, right? If I learned that um, the ABC model, for example, how can I start applying that to, um, to negative situations going forward? And then actually start scheduling it because, you know, Brendan Bouchard always says, if, if something's not scheduled, it's not going to get done. So looking at how to prioritize this in, in our lives um so that was do you do a lot of scheduling i do the day is scheduled i do however i don't like also over scheduling myself in the sense that everything is almost like kind of roboticized where
0: like i find it fascinating sometimes i'll get a google invite or i'll get one of those calendars sent and you have to pick between you know a couple of different (laughs) spots to choose from and it's hard to commit well no like i like i can commit because my like my days aren't I'm looking at the person who sent me this calendar yes, and going, yeah. oh my God, yeah. this is what their day is like. Yeah. They have scheduled meetings every 15, 20 minutes mm-hmm. and you're picking them and you know that they're l- literally going from one of these meetings to the next. Yeah. And I, for me, I'm oh, just no, like, I do <laughs> and I, I think what their mindset must be like going, I have to get through this day with this many yeah. meetings.
1: Yeah. So it, it depends on your personality type. Some people really like that and they thrive on that. And mm-hmm. that's the only way almost that um, things get done. Exactly. That things get done. Um, what I mean by if not if it's not scheduled it won't get done. For example, I had the goal of writing a book uh, within the first year of graduating from school. Um, I completed it within eight months of doing so, and that was because I reverse engineered my goals. So I had a goal to publish the book in November of 2018, and at the time it was October of 2017. So I, I looked at at the goal. I looked at the amount of work that needed to be done, and then I reverse engineered what was required to be done. So how many we you know what are the concepts I want to talk about? How many chapters would this you know turn out to be how many um research articles do I want to implement in this and then I started looking at how to bulk kind of my months to like you know month one I'm working on introduction and chapter one or the preface and chapter two and then month two I'm working on this and that so it's not necessarily scheduling um you know today okay Leanne you're going to wake up and after you know 6 a.m you're going to check this and then you're going to email this person then you have a meeting from this time but it's more giving setting intention rather than setting um kind of concrete, you know, mm-hmm. tasks in your schedule. Um, something else I really like doing and I do with a lot of my productivity clients is time blocking. So, for example, um, there's a lot of research coming out right now looking at the different chronotypes. So chronotypes is uh, almost like the science behind whether you're a night owl or if you're a lark or if you're, you know, what what times of the day do you function at your best? And um, there's a book I'll rec- I recommend. It's called uh, the, the Power of When. And this book completely, I think I read about two and a half years ago, completely changed the way I do work. And the way I was going about it before was, you know, I was thinking that all these high performers are, you know, waking up at 5 a.m. and, and um, you know, getting the majority of their work done before everybody else wakes up. And I was trying to do that, but I felt myself extremely fatigued, not motivated. I was not creative at that hour. And I just thought, what's wrong with me? I'm not a high performer because every high performer we know wakes up at 5 a.m. And then I read this book and I learned about the different types of chronotypes and how based, you know, genetically, certain people are more prone to be more productive at different times of the day. And so he has a little quiz in in, in his book, and I I did it, and it turns out that I'm most productive between, let's say, 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. And so now I know that if that's when I'm most productive and and creative and focused, that I'm going to schedule my host, my most, I guess, um, mentally taxing or hard, Um, or if I need to be socially interactive or anything like that between those hours because I know that's when I'm at my peak. Whereas I know maybe perhaps 4 or 5 in the afternoon or maybe even 8 p.m. is not a good time for me to be kind of on my A game.
0: Are there certain people that they work well, you know, oh yeah eight, you know
1: like. oh for sure there are uh, when i was editing my actually when i was going through the edits of my book my editor was sending things back at like 3 a.m and so he said or so she said that she was working from 11 to like 3 a.m and i'm like that's crazy but that's how she functioned And then she would sleep in to like 11 a.m the next day mm. um but that's when she was the most focused and that's when she found herself being the most productive so again it's not necessarily scheduling everything back to back to back but becoming more aware of what times of the day are we at our best and um how can we schedule the tasks that will require a little bit more of our effort and energy during those times
0: am i allowed at this point because uh, a lot of people know i'm very uh you know it's a personal thing for me that people schedule in the yeah. self-care of taking yeah of, of going to the gym yeah of doing physical activity that's right so do you schedule this and would you consider this part of the blocking time yes or the scheduling aspect of your life that yes you, you have to schedule it in like an appointment
1: so that's something that i've um i've created i've, ca- I've kind of created a, a power up and a power down hour and um I'm human, so I don't always, always stick to it. There will be instances where I kind of fall off track, but I try my best to stick to it as much as possible. So my power-up hour, the first hour of the day, I try my best to not look at my phone. and like I said, sometimes if I do, I've kind of muted notifications overnight, so that way if I look at the screen of my phone, I don't technically see any Facebook comments or emails mm-hmm. or anything like that, so I don't see that. It's not as tempting to open it up and see what someone has to say. Um, I will open up my meditation app, I'll meditate for 20 minutes, um, I'll have my workout first thing in the morning, because that's when I feel like I'm at my best to be physically active, and... Um, I'll, I'll, you know, prepare myself a nice breakfast or a nice coffee if I'm fasting that day, uh, and yeah, that's that's my kind of power up hour before I get myself into uh, whatever else I want to do, and that allows me the time to do kind of my quote unquote self care before the day starts and before I know perhaps other people's uh, obligations or, or things will fall into my lap. Okay, yeah, I I, I, I do love you,
0: but <laughs> you're young. Yes, yeah. I you don't, you don't have, have, have you don't have kids. Yeah, uh, and you're an entrepreneur, so yourself, you're, self, you're, you're yes. right. Yeah, so. There's there's people that are up early. Yeah, got to get the kids off to daycare or to school. Yeah. Then are at work. So how do you? Because they're going to come to you and be like, okay, look at my
1: schedule. Hundred yeah. percent. Where on earth
0: is this occurring? What? Where is exactly. this happening?
1: So that can be custom curated based on what your needs are. This whole power up and power down thing could take five minutes. It all the entire intention of it is for you to take a, a set period of time, whether it's you know five minutes, an hour, maybe even three hours, um, to be intentional with what you want to do in that moment and not have the distractions of the outside world to try to get in. Um, so I actually have a couple of clients that are moms of, of newborns even. So like I don't really, you know, make my schedule. My newborn makes my schedule for me. And so I say, okay, but you do know what time, you know, you're putting them to bed. You do know what time they're taking their naps, what time they're feeding. So perhaps custom curate your um your your schedule around when are even 10 minutes that I I can take time to maybe journal or to maybe do some yoga or, you know, just, it doesn't need to be, you know, first thing in the morning or last thing you do before you go to bed. As, you know, a lot of these high performance people say, like, you know, the last thing you do before you go to bed is extremely important to set you up for success for the next day, which I, which I agree, but the world's not going to end if, if that's not the time that you do it. in. Um, if you know that your child is off to daycare, perhaps you have maybe a couple of hours in the, in the afternoon to yourself. Um, again, you can mindlessly scroll through Instagram or or do things that are maybe not productive um, or you can schedule some me time or some things to work on for yourself. Perhaps it's not self-care per se, you know, like manicures and and facial masks and yoga, but it's maybe uh, taking time to work on a goal that you perhaps would want to work on or maybe it's speaking to someone, maybe it's going to coffee with a friend. So it's, it's custom making it to what you think will energize you and that will prepare you mentally and physically to show up as your best in other areas of your life as well.
0: We've just did on the A, which was the action, taking yes. action at the end, so what are we getting to
1: K? So K is for keen and knowledgeable. Um, And this goes back to, it might sound counterintuitive because I just told everyone to go on a low information diet, but I want people to question things and I want people to want to be knowledgeable in in various aspects of their lives. Again, like I said, some people kind of go into a specific area of study and they just very niche down and and just focus on that. Uh, Some people go into an area of work and they just focus on that. If you ask them anything outside of their line of work, they're not sure. I've always had a very deep appreciation for people who have had the sense of curiosity and that want to learn more. And I feel like this should even be like the first step to peak performance is being keen and knowledgeable to wanting to go that extra mile, wanting to learn more, wanting to become more aware because all of that brings intention back to ourselves.
0: Okay, but if someone is even Googling the word peak performance yeah. <laughs> or or looking you up or wanting more information, they that's already been triggered.
1: That has. That, that's already, yes. There's
0: already a curiosity there. Or an acknowledgement that something might not be working, and they have to figure out why.
1: That's right. Yeah. So looking at people who um, perhaps are stuck in this this state of perpetual. Routine, or who are in the state that they know they want to break out of, but they they need an extra, you know, they need a little bit of push out there. It's more for those people that I say to to reach out to something to that that puts you outside of your comfort zone. You know, what's one tiny step that you can take that will take you outside of your t- typical routine um, that will maybe even provide a different perspective on how you've been thinking or how you've been brought up, and that might that itself might even be. The triggering force that creates the momentum for you to want to pursue, you know, something else. Uh, For me, for example, being, you know, let's say I was in high school, just getting into university, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. I started becoming a little bit more curious about what else is out there that's outside of the medical field that can help improve health. That was just a simple question. And I think becoming keen and knowledgeable just begins with questions. Just start questioning, you know, why is it that I've always done this this way? Is there a better way to do so? Just that mere act of asking that question will kind of trigger that curiosity to want to go in, and search for answers. Um, You know, I just finished reading for the second time, actually, Tim Ferriss's book, The Four-Hour Workweek. And it it was just, you know, a pure example of this, of, you know, why is it that we've been told that we need to work nine to five every day or that business hours are Monday to Friday or that to be successful, you need to be working, you know, like crazy hours to make money. Um, And so his whole thing, his whole premise of the book was start asking the questions that other people aren't asking. Like, why can't I work only four hours a week and still end up making the exact same as I was making, you know, before? So it's just those questions and it's becoming, like I said, curious and open to receiving information that perhaps might conflict with the way that you've been living.
0: So the way that we have been living, mm-hmm. as you have said, is based on a lot of habit. Mm-hmm. Our,
1: and our, subconscious programming. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: What do you think is the hardest, the hardest thing of all the things that you have mentioned and talked mm-hmm. about? What is the hardest thing that people face?
1: Facing aspects of themselves that they perhaps don't want to change and they know that it's not conducive to, you know, high performance or it's not conducive to them in whatever that they're doing. But looking at it and saying, well, that's just the way I am. And I know it's not perfect, but that's just the way I am. That goes back to the fixed mindset. And it's very hard to kind of get people outside of that fixed mindset. And again, just to define fixed mindset is when you think that um, you were just born the way you were and you have a fixed kind of set of capabilities or abilities and that you're uh, not able to perhaps go outside of this the scope of who you are. Um, so we were talking about that
0: earlier. It was yeah. the fixed and
1: the growth? The growth mindset. So the growth mindset is, for example, let's say sales, for example. okay. So um, a salesperson might not be meeting their quota or might not be hitting their targets. A person with a fixed mindset will say, well, I'm just not good at sales. The person with the growth mindset will say, what can I do to improve my ability to sell? What can I learn? What Who can I hire that might be able to help me? I might not be good at sales yet. That's the key. Yet. Um, but I know with time and with effort, I can get there. So that itself, and it might be, most people might say like, oh yeah, like I, I think like that, but we might have growth and fixed mindsets about different areas of our life, right? Professionally, let's say in our career, we might have a growth mindset, but then when it comes to relationships, we might think like, oh, I just, you know, I just attract dirt bags. that's who I am, right? So it's becoming more aware of what areas of our life do we have a fixed mindset and where areas do we have a growth mindset? So the hardest thing is breaking out of that fixed mindset because most people have become so comfortable with just accepting and justifying why certain things are not going their way, they just say, well, that's just who I am, or I'm just not cut out for it. Or, you know, like, Pramise has a natural gift for, let's say, speaking, which I don't, by the way. The first speech I, I gave, I actually ran off stage crying. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, again, adopting that, um, that growth mindset towards wanting to break out of what our regular or our um, typical patterns of behavior are. So that's probably, you know, going back to your question, mm-hmm. it's the hardest thing of it's it's getting people to realize and that's not something I can do that you can do. That person needs to almost come to that conclusion themselves that I might not be good at this yet, but with time and effort I I can get better.
0: What would you say and I'm going to put you on the spot here right that's now. Right. Okay, because this one's this to kind of wrap it. Mm-hmm. What would you say would be the five can you come up with five things right now? someone's okay. listening to this okay um, five things that you consider are uh, uh, not the easier parts but things that they could probably do right now mm-hmm. to be able to start to be able to kind of look at those che yeah. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> the chemical change the the neuro the neuroscience the what's happening in our brains right. What are small things that might just trigger, the littlest triggers that will help us on this journey?
1: Okay. Um, One thing, again, coming back to the whole self-awareness thing, is bringing attention back to not just one area of our life, but looking at all aspects of our lives, from our spirituality to our professional life, to our relationship with ourselves, to our relationship with others, to our health and wellness, to um, everything that kind of encompasses who we are as a being even if it means writing it down on a piece of paper and listing out the the things that are going well and the things that aren't going so well. Finances even, right? And looking at perhaps what what are the reasons that we're not maybe thriving in those areas. Um, So this will kind of trigger that That look at ourselves and sometimes we don't like the answers Um, if it comes to our professional growth, if it comes to finances, if it comes to relationships, most of the time, you know, our external world is a reflection of what's going on internally. So we need to kind of face, you know, what are things that I'm blocking myself from accomplishing or from from reaching? It's that scarcity and abundance mindset that comes into place as well. Um, that kind of goes back again to the the growth and the fixed. So becoming more aware of where are we going wrong? Uh, and sometimes we don't know the answers. We say, well, you know, let's say I don't have as much money as I, I as I want to have. Well, I don't know. What am I doing wrong? But it's, it's becoming more aware of that and then looking going forward, what are scenarios that come up or what are situations that come up that you might you know, end up blocking yourself from from that opportunity? Is it your fear of growth? Is it your fear of succeeding in something? Is it your uh, discomfort of, of doing something that you know that you perhaps aren't very good at, but you have to put yourself in that spot? So it's becoming more aware of what are areas of your life that you could be doing better in. The next step, I guess I would say, the second second piece of advice is to destroy the idea that motivation is needed to do anything. Um, I actually myth bust this in my book, that motivation, the whole bubble of motivational speaking and motivational this and that is, is a complete joke, <laughs> but psychologically, motivation does not exist. And if you look at what creates people to take action, it's not motivation, it's momentum. And what I mean by momentum is taking one tiny action towards that, towards that action or towards the goal uh, will kind of create this cascade of, okay, I accomplished this and it wasn't so bad. So let me take one more step. Let me take one more step. And I tell people that if you wait for this magical kind of motivational spark to to occur, you're never going to get to anywhere. It's creating the discipline and the habits in place that, that, you know, that, small momentum that you build on, if it's cleaning your room, let's say, you know, taking maybe one paper clip off the ground and putting it on your desk will kind of create that cascade of, okay, that wasn't so bad, let me just continue. Um, I often say when I, I did a little bit of book coaching last year for after I after I published my own book, I had a flood of people saying like, you know, how did you do it so quick? Um, And so when I was coaching them, they said, Pramise, you know, there are certain days that I sit down and I have this concept in my head. I just have no idea how to put it on paper. So I just end up staring at, you know, a blank sheet for hours and nothing comes out. And I say, okay, so you have the concept and they say yes. And I'm like, okay, can you associate a couple of words to that concept? Let's say you want to talk about growth. You know, um, maybe the word is brain. Maybe the word is goals. Maybe. You know, something like that. So start writing those words down, even if they're, they don't connect to each other whatsoever. And then create sentences with that word. Like if your word is goal, like what sentence can you create with that? And you'd be surprised at how crazy, like how quickly just writing out simple words can all of a sudden turn to sentences that turn to paragraphs and now all of a sudden conclude in a chapter. It's momentum. It's momentum. It's not motivation. If I sit there just feeling like you know what, I don't really don't feel like working, or I really don't feel like um, putting effort into writing today, it's, it's not going to happen. But if I say like, I'm just going to write three words. That's it. I'm just going to write three words and see where that takes me. It's that momentum of that thought. Oh, all of a sudden, this word popped in my head. That thinks you know that makes me think of another idea. That makes me think of something else, and it creates that. So that would be my second piece of advice. Okay,
0: you've got like 30 seconds to okay. do number three, four, and five. <laughs> okay, so let's I've keep hurry uh, because now I have looked over at Veronica. And I'm like, we're so over. Yeah, I apologize. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> I, I think people who have stuck in this long are saying, okay, let's keep going. Let's yeah. keep going. Yeah. yeah. So, but <laughs> three, four, five.
1: Yeah. Last piece of advice is to. Um perhaps take a deeper look at your environment. And this includes people that you're surrounded with. This includes things that you listen to. This includes uh, places that you frequently go to. And we're often a product of our environment. Like, you know, you've heard probably where the sum of the five people People. we spend, you know, the most amount of time with. And we often discredit how long or how profound of an impact the people around us, the environments around us, um, the types of information we consume actually have an impact on even our, our genetic expression. So becoming more aware of if the people around me are, are actually serving me or are they the ones keeping me back, right? If I'm in this mindset of I want to be better, but everyone else is kind of just like, no, we're fine, we're comfortable. Why, again, why do you want to fix something that isn't broken? Is that's what's keeping me from from taking that action. So again, becoming a little bit more mindful of of where am I often going? Who am I often talking to? What types of information, information am I constantly taking in? Um, becoming more aware of that and looking at ways of perhaps breaking out of that might be a good way for you to, to develop that extra, that extra boost to, to want to perform at higher levels.
0: I'm like a sponge right now. I feel like (laughs) such a sponge, uh, well, I know right off the bat right now, like I know I'm going to turn off my, I have to log in and log out.
1: Awesome. That's I think good. that is going, That's I good. think that
0: will be a massive part of just shifting yeah. certain behavior. And I just like, you know, you got those 20 seconds to be able to kind of the thoughts come in. Yeah. Like work on the brain. Yep. Get yourself out of the neg- the negativity, the thoughts. Exactly. Um, I think it's amazing. I think you were going to – this is just the launch for you, right? You've got your book. You've got yeah. these programs. You've got a ton of things that happen. I can't go into, but yes. lots <laughs> of great things that happen when you're out in L.A., So where can people find you? Mm -hmm. Where can they kind of digest more of what you're offering?
1: Absolutely. So you guys can check me out on social media. Um, Once you've logged into your social media. Once I log (laughs) in and once I'm during that time block where I can actually respond to messages. Yeah. Um, You can find me on social media at Parmes. So it's P-A-R-M-E-E-S, just underscore on Instagram. Uh, Facebook is just Parmes Yaz. So my first name and then just the first three letters of my last name. Um, I do have a book, as I mentioned. It's called The Peak Performance Advantage, Eight Principles That Fuel Personal Professional Success, where I go in much, much deeper mm-hmm. on, you know, we only just scratched the surface today. Um, it's available on Amazon, on Kindle, and also on my website, so they can access me there. And I do offer, you know, certain programs and coaching, uh, like I mentioned as well, if, if anyone is inspired to want to work with more one-on-one. And the website? And the website, yes. It's uh, com. There's a ton of stuff on there. Lots yeah, yeah lots there, of articles. <laughs> there
0: really is. Thank you so much. Thank it's you. been an Thank absolute pleasure. Me. I'm so glad that we were able to connect. Absolutely. And I have to say, too, it's just it's wonderful to see at such a young age. And so I'm just thinking what you've done already, just the impact that you are going to have over the length of your career. It's going to be you. it's going to be quite remarkable. Thank you. So that's the wrap on living your life with Leanne Lang. I probably should mention share, like, subscribe, let people know <laughs> that this exists. But we're going to kind of leave it there and uh, we'll definitely see you back here next week.